0: And she said, and people told me, you got to talk to her because she'd been going in and out. The reason they wanted her to talk to me is because of the shared experience that I understood how she felt having had the same experience. And it's hard to find somebody who survived the plane crash. We're around, but we're pretty rare. She looked at me and she said, can I make it? And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, yes, you can. And I'm living proof of it. And that's when I knew that that promise that I didn't want in that book was real. That the past had suddenly had tremendous value.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Earl H., that you heard at the beginning of this episode here, episode number 234, that is. And you will be hearing so much more from Earl H., In uno momento, but... First things first, this episode is being brought to you by Dave and Barb and Laura and Anonymous and Joshua and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn. Do you know what Dave and Barb and Laura and Anonymous, their name's not actually Anonymous, they just don't want to be recognized, you get it, and Joshua and And Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn did. Well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Dave and Barb and Laura and Anonymous and Joshua and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So, take a seat if you will around this virtual table, and let's get started. First, before I, I get into the the episode itself with Earl H here, I want to go ahead and read a uh, a uh, an email. Uh, that I received this week, and um, you know, this is part of listener feedback. I guess is what you can call it, but we're putting it on the front end. Lauren writes in, and she says, "Hello from CT, Connecticut." She says, "Hi, John. It's nice to finally be able to write this email. I have listened almost uh, to almost every single one of your podcasts while I was incarcerated from September." To January and I love them all. Your guests are amazing and they help me get through every single day sitting there waiting for somebody to decide that I can go into the real world again. They decided on January 28th to put me into CVH's Merit Hall program Uh, that's here in Connecticut. And, And I successfully completed that. And I am now living in a sober house in the town of Norwich, Connecticut. It's nice to be able to interact with people again on a level that is not behind a locked door. Due to the COVID virus, we were on a 23 hour a day lockdown and stuck with the same person in the same room for pretty much the whole time I was there. So when I say that this podcast got me through, I mean that with all my heart, exclamation point. Please tell your guests that I am so appreciative of them and with the help of this podcast and my family, I am now sitting here with more than six months clean. On the 20th, it'll be seven months. I hope everyone is well. And I thank you for taking the time to listen to me babble. It's not babbling, Lauren. Have a great day. And thank you so much for everything in big capital letters and all these exclamation points. With regards... Lauren M. from Connecticut, big smiley face. Lauren M., I just got to tell you, that took me aback when I read that, and I, I'm, I'm I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you were able to listen uh, to the podcast while you were incarcerated, and God bless you. I am so happy that you were on the right path, and congratulations on your almost six months, and thank you so much again for writing in. All right, everybody. Now on to our featured speaker, Earl H. is a voice that many of you are going to recognize right off the bat. For others of you, I know you. This will be your first exposure to Mister Earl H. And uh, Earl lives in Vista, California, with his wife Lori. And Earl has been sober since November sixth of nineteen eighty. We discuss Earl's life and times as a noted circuit speaker. I'm always curious about that, and I was able to ask a lot of questions. We talk about the events that took place in Earl's life on his 22nd birthday, including the plane crash that tragically took the lives of his family. We talk about Earl's recovery journey from that plane crash and the moment where he realized that that experience, the plane crash that is, could provide tremendous value to others. Keep in mind, this is the beginning of Earl's journey and uh, we're going to be putting out some additional episodes with Earl uh, in the near future. I, it may even be next week, but uh, I just want to see if I can get all that together. We're going to have plenty of follow-up conversations with him. But like I said, we really just kind of get through the the first part of his journey on this particular episode and we'll follow up with more later. So everybody, please buckle up enjoy the ride and without further ado i present to you mr earl h enjoy oh last thing we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode enjoy okay everybody so today we are sitting here with an interview i've been very excited about the one and only mr earl h so earl will you please go ahead introduce yourself Give your sobriety date if you wish and tell people where you live in this land of ours, please.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Earl. Um, I, uh, my sobriety date is November 6th, 1980. Um, I live in Vista, California with my lovely wife, Lori. Uh, we've been together for 23, 24 years. I don't think she appreciate the. The vagueness of that but that's <laughs> we've been together a long time and happily so um, that's great and you used
1: to live in arizona am i right well, about that? i was
0: born and raised in la i'm an la boy um always will be that's that's home to me that's where I, I i that's where i did my running and gun. that's where i got sober that's where my original recovery took place um that's where I'm, lori and i met got, i got we got married um, and we just, she had family in Arizona, and wanted to get to know her nieces better and whatnot. And I had the kind of, I had the kind of business, to still do, it where you know, moving was cool. So I just said, let's go. You know, I've always been a bit of a vagabond that way. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I can, uh, I'm not real attached to stuff, so you know, I to get up and go is easy for me. And we went to Arizona. Um, And, uh, actually I went to Arizona and I discovered that I love the deserts, mystical place. Um, we we were there for six, over six years. Um, and, but when she said, I'm done with the desert, you want to go back to California? Man, I I couldn't get packed fast enough. Uh, (laughs) I, I realized that I'm not the vagabond I thought I was, um, I'm very affected by my surroundings. And when I got back to California and I, and we bought a great house down here and I, and I opened up the front door and the back door and ocean breezes just rolled through my house. Wow. And the impact that that's had on me is dramatic. What so I'm very affected like, by Talk my about that
1: impact. What do you what do you mean like
0: I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's if it's, if it's the the, uh, the ions in the air from the water i mean i you know i don't even know if what i said is real I, I you know just that there's something about being near the ocean that settles me
1: you just feel more relaxed more settled. i do
0: i do and yeah. and uh it, it may be just familiarity and it may you know um whatever it is it's positive and i rolled it so uh, we're really at we've been back three months and um Oh, we're just still, three months. We're still putting, you know, our house together. We're still, you know, moving in and really happy to be here. The two of us are, we got, I got two German Shepherds, Rocco and Lila, you know, and uh, the four <laughs> of us are having a blast down here, man. It's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so – I want to talk real quickly about you. As you know, we were, you know, trying to get some technical stuff straight, having some conversations and stuff like that, kind of getting set up here, and we finally did. And and then when we got on uh, camera with each other, as you know, we're 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 publishing audio, but not video, right? Uh, And but you wanted to kind of you had some warning, not warning. I didn't didn't really scare you with the
0: way I looked, right? I had a little I had a little cancer run in and had had uh, um, I'd just just undergone um, a two week ke- uh, chemo series of two treatments a day for 14 days and had pretty much burned my face off. And it's just been peeling and and uh, um, I'm another two weeks into the healing. So I've been about a month into the process, you know, and I still, you know, I've got. Yeah, you know, I'm still pretty torn up looking, but. Um, so
1: this, you said this happened, this is like a long. Kind uh, of yeah, out. I,
0: I was first diagnosed with malignant melanoma um, before I got sober. I mean, I, it was in, um, 40 over, over 42 years ago and uh, 1978, 1979, somewhere in there and had major surgery in my upper back and, and, you know, did all the stuff that they do. They told me to get my affairs in order back then. Um, and, uh, I was still using, and I remember thinking, what affairs, (laughs) you know, know, I haven't done anything with my life. I, you know, I, and I I remember being really struck by that. And I, I, I was, you know, unbeknownst to me, I was, you know, very close to, of you know the life changing experience of getting sober so um every i go every six months to get checked and this last time i went they just said you know um you things aren't don't look good we need to you know really take a good run at this and i said okay so they did and i'll be fine anybody who's thinking oh you know you know how you know our people are you know (laughs) Earl's gonna be dead within thirty days, and you know what I mean. (laughs) No, I'm I'm great. I'm fine. You know, I did what needed to be done, and I'll be just fine.
1: You said I laugh at cancer or something like that. Would you? say? Well, I you know,
0: it was like it it gets so serious. You know what I mean. It's just like, come on. You know what I mean. It's like, you know, I've I've had you know tougher battles than this. In my day, you know, and so this is like, nah, it's not even going to slow me down. I mean, most people go in the house and sit in a dark room, wouldn't let anybody see them like this, you know, you know, I'm going on zoom meetings in front of a thousand people and speaking and, you know, stuff. And then, you know, people just are like, whoa, what happened to you? <laughs> and I tell them oh. to keep moving. It's just, just not vain enough to worry about it that much. But I don't want to upset anyone, you know, that, that, you know, they see me and they get concerned. So I just I understand alleviate any concern. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a bit of a trying time, but I'm fine.
1: Okay. Another thing we were talking about before we got cranked up here was, uh, you know, you, as you know, I, I live in Texas and I loved, you said you've been here probably 75 times or whatever. And so, uh, so Earl, just so you know, we have people listening to the podcast. I mean, some people are tried and true AA, they've been around for 25, 30, 40 years, or whatever the case may be. And others are like, they're, they're just kind of, you know, coming in, they're new. And so, uh, they may not know as much about conferences and you know traveling and what people do, but you have been, I guess, what is affectionately known as a a, a circuit speaker for for many years. Yeah, do a long you time. still do you still do? Yeah, I, of?
0: I I I uh, I've been going on the road speaking at conferences different all over the world. I've been all over the world um, for the last uh, like thirty plus years. Um. It, Speaking at conferences, you know, and um, which is you know, and and conferences are basically you know, uh, uh, areas will have once a year they'll have they've got their meetings and their home groups and their Alano clubs and all those things and been every once in a while like once a year they'll get together and they'll all the meetings they'll get together and they'll put an area event on for an entire area like a state conference where you know all you know uh, 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 groups from all over the state will will rent a hotel out and put out flyers and they'll get flying speakers from all over the world and they'll have a big you know celebration of recovery and you'd be surprised how many of those there are anywhere from 250 people to 10,000 people you know, that go on. And then every five years, there is the international conference, which is put on. And that's, you know, 50 to 60,000 people. It's huge. And I've spoken at that one and all the way down to, you know, wherever two or more are gathered, you know, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a smaller, like when you're speaking to 10,000 people, You just look out at the room and you think, you know, hi, everybody. (laughs) You know, it's a little (laughs) overwhelming. And then you just find a guy down in the front row or sitting there looking at you and you just go, I'll I'll tell you, talk to that guy. Because really all you're doing is talking to 10,000 people, one person at a time. I mean, it's what we do and what we share. If it's done as suggested in the book, it's from the heart. It's the language of the heart and it's you know from one person to another it's it's the nature of of our fellowship our community you know is that it's a very personal um unique thing
1: so what has been your Oh, you know, uh, people have had different experiences with this. Some get burned down on it, whatever the case may be. It's helped them in the spiritual journey. Some have found I was getting too big of an ego. I mean, it goes all over the, all over the map. What has been your, I mean, just general spiritual journey involved with the speaking at conferences? Has it well, hurt. has it hurt?
0: To, to, I, I've seen everything that you just mentioned. And, um, I didn't, uh, there've been three occasions where I stopped speaking. I didn't speak for a year and then my sponsor directed me to go back to it. And another time I didn't speak for a year and my sponsor directed me to go back to it. And then I didn't speak for six and a half years. Uh, not a word. I didn't speak at a conference. I didn't speak at a meeting. I didn't, I didn't, nothing. I was quiet. I was a good foot soldier in the rooms. I, I sponsored a lot of guys. I went, was in meetings all the time, home group, um, you know, commitments, all that. Right? You know, and, I, you know, and if you think about it, you know, the, the great majority of people in the recovering community uh, stay sober without ever speaking at a conference or, or you know, getting into all that. Right. That, and, you know, have wonderful, you know, full lives. And I just needed to um, put Earl H, let him go for a walk, you know, and just be Earl for a while. And it was very healing for me. And people said, "Oh, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss, you know, the adoration and all the, you know, being so well known and blah 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 blah." And uh, not for a minute. <laughs> I didn't miss it for a minute. I when I was directed to go back, I did. My and so, say, when
1: you went back, you. yeah, what was that like? It was fascinating, I mean.
0: because you know, I hadn't. I hadn't spoken in six and a half years, and in a lot of meetings, about ninety percent of the people in those meetings had rolled in and out. You know, so a tremendous number of people had ne- they they went, "Oh, that's the guy from the CDs," because there's a ton of CDs of me out there. So they they all knew that this, you know, there was this guy, but they didn't know who he was or what he looked like or anything like that because I wasn't at conferences and I wasn't. You know, sharing at meetings and identifying my, you know. So when I came back, it it ramped up pretty fast. You know, it was, oh, that guy. He's, you know, he <laughs> he's back.
1: What about for you personally? Was it a uh did you feel like, wow, I missed this? Or or was it just you know, you know I, I'm carrying you know, the I, message?
0: I, I just sort of felt like it's it's time for this now. You know, it was just, you know, this just the next indicated step. So I took it, you know, that's all, you know, and the door opened and I walked through it and, you know, did what was asked of me. It wasn't, the good news about all that for me is is that I've had great sponsorship and I've understood from the beginning that all of this stuff has very little to do with me.
1: And, and when you were asked by your sponsor or sponsors, whoever it was, to go back and get in the game again, if you will, mm-hmm. what was the – do you remember the rationale behind that?
0: Well, my what my sponsor said, must be clear that he said this, not me. <laughs> he said, you have a gift for this, and it was given to you. And you need to share it. And I said, okay. And if that's what you think, then that's what I'll do. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with you. But, <laughs> you know, they don't sponsor me. You do. So I'll, I'll do what you say. And I always have. I've, been, I've always been a very um, um, good sponsee, if you will, in that it's – I look, I'm a strong-willed, you know, type A guy. Um, and it's important for me to have someone in my life that I will defer to. So sponsorship has been extremely valuable and important in my life that, that I'm not running the show.
1: Okay, I want to ask one more question on that, but uh, first I want to do a real quick, uh, 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 what do we call this? Like a station identification, Earl. We will be continuing our conversation with Earl H. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the Donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, so... I, I want to ask this well, you said it's your, or your sponsor said you have a gift, which I believe, right? And, and I know that, uh, I mean, I have, oh gosh, I'm not looking at her name right now, but, but the reason I'm on the phone with you is because I had a lady right in, uh, which i had gotten, uh, and she said, Hey, listen, if you, uh, you know, ever want to publish like Earl H's. Uh, talk on your podcast I think that'd be great he has a great story and all that kind of stuff and so I thought to myself self, so, why don't I just ask him to be on the podcast and then I reached out to Bill C uh, as you right. know uh, and and I just uh, asked hey do you have Earl's uh, contact information he gave it to me and thus we are here but here's the question I wanted to ask <laughs> what do you say to people because you know how everybody is with uh, I, I don't know, egos or whatever, but I'm sure people come up to you and they say, Hey Earl, I want to do what you do. I want to go get in front of 10,000 sure. people or 50,000 people or whatever it is and tell my story. But, you know, I think people just, they, you know, there's certain gifts people have and.
0: Well, I've had you, you're, you are correct. I, a lot of people over the years have come up and said, I want to do what you do. I want to, you know, speak a lot and I want to, do conferences and all that. And I say to all of those people, I say to them, well, well, you should know that you and I are completely different in that respect is that I never wanted to do this. I was uh, terrified of the podium. I never took a chip. I didn't take a cake till I was two and a half years sober. And I didn't raise my hand and share in a meeting until I was three. Wow. Um, I, Terrible anxiety around that. Uh, no, no, I mean, I, I I was in a constant state of fear when I first started speaking. It's gotten much better, but I still get nervous. At first, you know, it takes a couple of minutes for me to settle in and go, "Oh, oh, there's not here to kill me." <laughs> <laughs> you know, this isn't the place. You know, where you hear the rifle crack. You know, <laughs> everything's okay. These are your friends, right? I, it's difficult for me. I don't come to this easily. Um, it's just the nature of my story. People found out about my story and went, wow, that's a pretty dramatic story. You know, there's a message of hope in that and, and you should be talking. And so it just took off, you know, Uh, uh, it was not my intention. I was just doing what I was told to do.
1: Okay, let's. That's a good place to dovetail into your story. Okay. So
0: let's, let's,
1: uh, you let's want talk. To, and
0: ab- I guess you want like the 10 minute version at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we, hey, we're, this is not the only session we're going to get to and record, I am sure. So let, let's, let's just start. We'll see how far we get and right. uh, we can schedule some well, additional time how, in the
0: future. Let me see how much I can, I can streamline this without making it seem
1: well i don't want pointless. you to streamline it yeah no it's, no you, you can you you're gonna have plenty of time right, right. whether it's well, this session the next session whatever the case I'll just may be start at
0: the beginning and there you go you know kick it down the kick the can down the road see what happens here
1: i did hear you say once something the effect of you know i held off as long as i could to start well, drinking
0: well that was you know i started drinking when i was 12 years old you know and and i held off as long as I could. I had been restless, irritable, and discontented. As a child, I come from a very violent home. I was always looking over my shoulder. I was always, the te- the, le- the tension level was always very high. I, you know, I, uh, it was, uh, and I thought that's how the world was. I didn't know any difference.
1: Okay, you know, so I- le- let's, let's dive in there a little further. So when you say a very violent household, can you? My
0: father was a very violent man. That's just all I would say about that and describe that is that he was very violent and, uh, and, uh, um, was quick to it. let's just say. And, uh, so, I mean, I grew up, I grew up around having that right there, you know, the risk of that was always there. Um, when I was 12, I got sent off to boarding school, uh, um, which to me felt like I was being thrown away. That was my emotional reaction to that. Uh, I was being given an opportunity for a wonderful education, but but uh, that was not how it felt. It felt like I had been thrown away by the people who knew me best in the world. And I didn't know what I'd done to be thrown a cast out. So I pretty much cut off all communication with my family. And I, I, I never went home again. Uh, when there'd be breaks, every seven weeks, kids would go home, you know, for a weekend from boarding school. I'd go with other kids to their houses, you know, go stay with them. And uh, I just didn't want to. Or, I, or I'd go home and just grab some clothes and go hang out with some friends and, and then, you know, get a ride back. And and I, 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 didn't, I didn't want anything. And it was too painful for me to, to be around that, um, to be cast out and then just walk back in like nothing had to happen. Uh, because nobody was going to talk about it, not in my family. Um, and I didn't know how to, so, you know, it was just, you no. Know, and and in turn I became, you know, because I grew up fighting. I mean, that's how I was in, in boarding school. I was the smallest and youngest kid in the school of 250 boys. And, you know, people kind of let, let me be, cause you know, I, I was quick to the fist. So I was quick to, you know, to, to fight. Um, which is not something I'm proud of. It's it, it, That's all fear-based behavior. That was because I didn't have the skills that other people had, you know, like how to talk to each other, you know, say how they felt. You know, I acted on it because that's all I'd ever seen. Um, first week there, you know, I got in a fight and the cool kids came around and said, you want to smoke some weed? And I said, yeah. And so began my Storied career, you know, a little weed, a little red wine, you know? And you know, just that the magic happened, that thing that makes me bodily and mentally different from my fellows occurred. And suddenly I was comfortable standing where I was standing, doing what I was doing with the people I was doing it with. And I never felt like that before. It was like I'd exhaled fully and completely for the first time. I was okay. I felt like things might be okay. And i didn't know is it the pot is it the wine is it these two guys i'm um, hanging out with which were clearly you know close personal friends having spent the last 15 minutes together you know <laughs> <laughs> under these circumstances and 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 so it just started th- you know 12 you know was a little weed little wine 13 was pills got strung out on barbiturates and did all that stuff and You know, uh, 14 was psychedelics, got classified legally insane by the military years later as a direct result of the absurd amount of psychedelics I did. Started shooting dope at 15.
1: How does that work with the so like in other words, it just affected your brain so much that you when you were in the military yeah they, yeah they
0: they uh well, I'd been thrown in the nut house a couple of times, so there were you know psychiatric records on me that suggested to the army that I wouldn't be you know a good opportunity you know we don't think we can mold this fellow into what we would like him to be. We don't think that will go well with him. (laughs) He will resist that (laughs) and it will not be worth it. So you get away from us. (laughs) So once again, you know, I was ready to go. I was, I was ready to, you know, be in the army. And they said, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> i said well okay then and i hit the street and do what we do you know on the street and ended up uh um uh, like i said i'd gotten uh um i was in i had become a drug dealer not and and only because i had no morals i had no ethics i had no sense of family i had no sense of community i was just loose you know with this pain inside me and i was trying to out I was trying to outpace my demons and I wasn't doing a very good job of it. Right. And starting to overdose and, you know, things are going hanky. And I mean, uh, you know, I was clever enough to do well in school and get accepted to law schools all over the place and, you know, all that stuff. But, um, my disease was just, you know, accelerating at such a rate. Then I got diagnosed to have malignant cancer, you know, and I, I went and, dealt with that and then went back to school and my mother called me and um crying and said you know because we'd just been through this whole cancer thing and they'd almost lost me and i guess my mother had this thought you know this is ridiculous we have to stop this fighting we have to be a family you know life is short you know we've just we, we almost just lost him you know let's we have to come together so she called me crying and said you and your father are going to put this crap aside and you're going to we're going to come together as a family. We'll go anywhere you want to go, but we're going on your birthday we're going as a family somewhere and and we're going and outwardly, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a child of the 60s. I'm a hippie. I got hair down on my elbows, you know. I'm you know a a a, a full-blown alcoholic drug addict at this point. Um but my my mother was crying and uh, you know, I I had no defense against that. So I said, "Fine. So on my 22nd birthday, I flew back to L.A., and we took off to fly to Guadalajara. I said, let's go to Guadalajara, hang out for a few days. So we, I, I come home. We get in my father's plane to fly to Guadalajara, and on the way there, the plane crashed. And my mother, my father, and my little sister all died in the crash, and I survived. And uh, barely. I broke fractured my skull, my back in three places, crushed my arm, my leg. I mean, you know, I just broke all my ribs, my arm. I mean, I was just broken from head to toe. I was paralyzed from the waist down, but I was awake. I woke up and I'm in this wreckage and my mother, my father, my little sister are all within sight. I can see them all, but I can't get to any of them. I can't do anything about what's happening. And I laid there and I watched them all bleed to death in front of me. And it was like something inside me broke. And I renounced God. And I swore I'd never love another human being again as long as I lived. It's not worth it. The pain that I feel right now, this isn't my birthday. My birthday is this is the day I'm supposed to get my family back. I'm going to be a part of a family, finally. And God said, no. That's what that day was for me my birthday <laughs> my 22nd birthday and so you know a lot of bad stuff happened in mexico the federalists showed up and interrogated me because they had issues with me being, you know i had some issues with the mexican government but we don't need to get into that i mean it just another side story for another day but I finally got some guys to fly a plane in. They plastered me from my neck to my hips and smuggled me out of Mexico. And I spent a long time in a hospital in Santa Monica, California. Came out of there, used for six more years, nonstop, and the violence was nuts. How and and I I came out of my last blackout just to short track it. I mean, it's just the this everybody's got the same stuff, you know. The craziness, the out of control life, the violence, the mayhem, the dishonesty, you know, um, the inability to connect to other human beings. Just I was alone and and scrapping my way through, you know, the, the hostile territory of life, as I saw it, you know, and I I came out of my last blackout and something had happened in that blackout that. And, and I don't know what it was. But when I came out of it, both my hands were broken. I had no, my family was dead. Watched them all die. Had no friends, had no place to live. I'd broken 74 bones. I had over 650 stitches in me. I'd been stabbed twice, shot at them. I mean, it had been nuts. You know, but like so many others. There's nothing special about my story, really. When you think about, you know, my the road of alcoholism as it moved towards inevitable either recovery or demise, right, was a heartbreaking road as it is for, I think, all of us and as it was for me. And um, I came out of this last blackout and, and I tapped out. I I, couldn't, I said, please help me. I couldn't. I was dying of alcoholism and I couldn't go another day. And they were outside. It was a cop car and an ambulance outside. And they were trying to decide, do we take him in for attempted murder? of uh, This guy, David Luboff, right? That's why my hands were broken. And Or do we take him to the hospital? Because he's dying and we can tell. And I said, please help me. And there was somebody in the room who knew what had happened. And they went. Throw him in that ambulance and get him out of here before the cops know what's going on, right? So they threw me in that ambulance. They took me on. And I spent 42 days in detox. I think it was, yeah, 42, 47, something like that. A ridiculously long amount of time. On a cot in uh, Long Beach General Hospital. And the kicking was called riding the cot. You got in that old army cot and you kicked. There's no meds. There's no nothing to help you sleep. You know, nobody came by and said, "Are you a little anxious, Earl?" You know, can we get you a little something? It's like hell yeah, man. I've been anxious since I was four. (laughs) You know, (laughs) where you guys been? (laughs) And and uh, I, they finally uh, uh, Ray W. May rest in peace, said to me, "Uh, Earl, we love you, but you got to go. And if you don't go to AA, you're gonna die. And I remember thinking, well, that's kind of extreme. But, you know, I mean, and in the face of my life, you know what I mean? That was not an extreme statement. But I just thought, well, oh, it's kind of rude. But, you know, all right. And I ended up in the basement of a church on a Friday night. And the guy got up and shared his experience, strength, and hope. And I just went, oh, my God, that's me. That was me. So- I drank like that guy. Something happened to me just like something happened to that guy, you know? Then he talked about what his life was like now, and I had none of that. But two out of three was better than I'd done in a long time. And and so (laughs) I thought, they said, keep coming back. And I said, well, you opened the door, (laughs) you know? Letting me back in was a risky proposition, but you had said, come back. And I said, okay. And I did, and I haven't left How's that? Under ten, I got sober and under ten. <laughs> I just want credit for that. I want to make a note right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I okay, did <laughs>
1: so I, I want to backtrack a little bit though, because you know I I know that that, that plane crash is a dramatic yeah. point in in your life. So, so here's my question. I I, I know you've told that I many times. Right uh, from yep. with all the speaking that you've done, does it?
0: I asked my sponsor if I could leave that out of my story because I figured saying? if I did, they'd ask me to speak less. <laughs> I could leave the plane crash out. I said, "Look, it doesn't doesn't really have anything to do with alcoholism. I leave it out." And, and and he just said, "Just shut up," and he hung up on me. That, that was the end of that conversation. <laughs>
1: So who? So it was you four in the plane. Your mom,
0: your dad. And there was one other person in the plane, um, who shall remain nameless. Um, uh, a little while later, he said something to me um, about my little sister, um, and I have not spoken to him since. Okay. It was an incredibly selfish insensitive remark okay and i did not take that well right
1: okay so who was flying the plane my father was he i'm assuming he was a licensed pilot
0: no we stole <laughs> <plane>. okay i'm <laughs> sorry to Mexico yes it was his <laughs> plane he was a licensed pilot it was a twin engine plane my mother was actually a licensed pilot as well she was a co pilot i often flew the plane um as oh. as a little kid i i could take off a plane fly it and land it i i looked my, he taught me how to fly when i was a little kid so i you know i knew how to fly so there was no shortage of pilots it was just you know a lot of circumstances that, that lead to a whole other story that we don't need to get into but
1: I understand what what yeah, caused if, what caused the plane to go down. That's do one of the
0: things that we don't really need to get. Okay. into. is that is
1: I, I understand the I effect understand.
0: was I my family was gone.
1: Right, and so that's really what I kind of wanted to ask you about. I know you've told it many times. Yeah, how long uh, are, are you? Uh, where are you in your journey with losing your, your family? I, I, do you- Well, that's a good question.
0: It, it's some scars never heal. I mean, people think, I think a lot of times think, you know, Oh, you know, give it time, you know, it'll all heal and be fine. And, and that's actually not real life. You know, some things, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be yours to carry. And it's and and the question is how are you going to carry your weight? How are you going to carry your history? You know how you know your experience and. um, I'll just tell you a quick story about that 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 is specific to my family and and I'm fine by the way now. I mean I I I don't have. I have a nightmare or a PTSD moment um, very rarely now because I've done the work. You know, I I went and got the outside help that I needed and did the work necessary to find my way through that maze, you know, of emotion and, and, you know. You, people think that they're dead. How do you resolve relationships with dead people? And the fact is, I was there for the entire relationship. I know everything that went down. I, you know, I yes, I have resolved all those relationships. Um, two of them were very easy to to resolve. One took twenty years. Right, my my father that took twenty years. Um, but um, yeah, we're okay. You know, but I you know I know him for who he was, and I accept him for who he was. Right. Um, I don't make excuses for him, but you know, I, I, accept. Um, and I forgive him, you know, because I mean, when you forgive someone, you free them from the prison of your own mind. So, you know, I've come to understand what forgiveness really is. again, as because of the path that we walk together here, you know, I, that's where I've learned everything that's been of use or value to me. Um, but this, you know, I, I went up on a tangent. I was going to tell you a story that explained um, where I'm at with my family. Oh, it was, uh, I was reading, the, you know, through the big book and it came to the promises and the promises. One of the promises it, that's suggested in the, in the main text of recovery, um, says, you know, we'll not regret the past or wish to shut the door upon. it. And I said, the hell do you say? <laughs> I said, I've had experiences. There's no way you're ever going to tell me, convince me that any good is ever going to come of that. So why don't we just right now, just draw a line right through that one. And I'll take the deal. It's still the best deal anybody's offered me. Right? But when we get to that, it's going to piss me off. So, let's just get that out of the way. And my sponsor, of course, said, you know, we want to thank you for sharing, Earl. And I think we'll just leave that right where it is. I was like, see? (laughs) There's no point in talking to you people. You just don't listen to a thing I say. And, And so we're going along, and every day when I would drive home from work, I'd drive by this church. And this church was the place where my family's funeral had taken place. Um, and I couldn't go in there. It's the only place on earth I could not go. And one day I was driving by, and I thought, you know what? I, I, I can't have that. I can't. I can't have that. I can't have a a, a place that I'm so afraid of I can't walk through its doors. I won't live like that, right? I'm going in. You know, typical defiant Earl, right? So I pull in and I walk in, you know, and my heart, right? And I'm probably beating, you know, 190 over 100, you know, I mean, um, you know. The fear is upon me. I mean, the PTSD is just pounding, right? And they I, and I went in, and it was a Monday night, and I knew they had an AA meeting in there. And I walked into the meeting. That's why I went on at that time, because I knew there would be a meeting in that church, right? So I walked into the meeting, and I knew the guy leading the meeting. And I gave him the head nod, and he gave me the head nod, and somebody was sharing. I went, and I just sat down. I just thought, I'll just be here for this meeting, and I walk out. I win, Right? So I'm sitting there, and this um, woman, uh, uh, the guy leading to me, he goes, uh, Earl, you you want to want to share? He calls me out, right? I didn't raise my hand, you know. Why are you picking on me? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm over here fighting for my life, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which he doesn't know, right? And and but when he said, Earl, do you want to share? This woman across the room makes this noise kind of like a scream. And she stands up and she says, are you Earl H? And I said, uh, yeah. And she burst into tears and ran across the meeting and sat down next to me, like on me and hugged me and was just weeping. And I just kind of held her, you know, and I was just looking at the meeting, just like going, I I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Right. And, the, uh, um, what I love, one of the things that I love about the fellowship is, you know, none of the bleeding deacons went, what the hell's going on here? You know, well, you know this is a participation meeting. Get back in your seat, young lady, and we're going to, we have a format, blah, blah, blah. They didn't do that. They just all went kind of like, well, I guess we're going this way now. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, they just took it right in stride, right? And she kind of composed herself and she said, I was in a plane crash. And I got hurt real bad, and I lost people I loved. And she said, and people told me, you got to talk to her. Because she'd been going in and out. And the reason they wanted her to talk to me is because of the shared experience. That I didn't, I understood how she felt having had the same experience. And it's hard to find somebody who survived the plane crash. You know, we're we're around, but we're pretty rare, you know. And she looked at me and she said, can I make it? And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, yes, you can. And I'm living proof of it. And that's when I knew that that promise that I didn't want in that book was real that I wouldn't read, that the past had suddenly had tremendous value that I couldn't see at the time, but there it was. You know, know, back when I first read it, I couldn't see that that could ever be true of what had happened in my life. And then that girl stepped into my life and proved to me that it would, and it did. And she believed me, and and I remember thinking, wow, that it actually had value for someone, you know, that I went through that, and so uh, I guess that, that that's that's my answer to um, how I feel about how I've resolved the loss of my family, how I've, that it's just, it's my path, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I've tried to stop thinking about things as good or bad, uh, right or wrong, and start to think of things as beneficial to self and others or harmful to self and others, you know, and where, where do I want to stand? You know, where, what do I want my actions to represent? And, I learned that here by listening to those who've gone before me, you know, who showed me what was possible.
1: So Earl, I so much appreciate what you've shared so far. Would you come back with me at some other point, please? And kind sure. of go into the second half of your story. Uh, in fact, uh, I, This was really what I was hoping we could do is kind of get to the first part of your story, um, you know, kind of coming up into AA and I'd love to have you back and uh, come talk about the second half of your journey, uh, if you will, as you've gotten into Alcoholics Anonymous, okay?
0: It, It would be my honor. It's nice hanging with you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's nice hanging with you. God bless you. It will uh, get you some time scheduled back soon. Okay. All
0: right. I'll be hearing from you, John.
1: Oh, I forgot. I've got to. I always ended up with page 164 from the big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. <laughs> <laughs> Give <laughs> freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship, fellowship of, the of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Earl H., as you trudge the road
0: of happy yeah. destiny. And you should know that if you look in a dictionary from 1939, trudge means to walk with purpose. Ah,
1: And then it says, may God bless you and keep you until Until then. then. I look forward to having you back on again, Earl. You take care. We'll see you soon. Oh, it is so cool talking to Earl and uh, picking his brain and hearing his story and being able to interact with him. uh, Just a very cool guy. And so anyway, um, like I said earlier, before this episode began, we're going to have follow-ups to Earl's, uh, the, the second part to his story, and, and then some additional conversations about a variety of topics, but uh, uh, please do, uh, if you enjoyed that, and I'm sure you all did, please pause your device and share that episode with a friend or a family member. That episode may be just what they need today. Now on to a little bit of uh, listener feedback. Michelle writes in and Michelle says oh the the subject line is short thoughts podcast so I I put out an episode a couple weeks ago now where I was sharing just some thoughts that I had some random thoughts I think is what I called it and I was actually feeling very grateful that day and I wanted to record a really short episode and put it out there on the airwaves it was kind of a a vulnerable moment for me if you will i thought mm, several times about putting it out but i finally did but anyway michelle writes in as she says regarding the short thoughts podcast first thing she says is i should be asleep <laughs> this came in i remember it came in at night right after i had uh, written uh, uh, uh excuse me not written but i had released the episode by the way If you want to get in contact with me and or Earl, or or you have any comments about Earl, any of the other speakers, anything like that, please write me at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com and we will get you uh, hooked up or or I, I would love to read the feedback. Anyway, back to Michelle. She says, I should be asleep. I've had something heavy laying on my heart the past few years, and it has the possibility to end this week. With that, I've been praying, trying not to be anxious, but on the edge of tears the last few days. I was almost scared to listen to your podcast because I was worried that something bad had happened. She says, in parentheses, I listen to too many crime podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, Michelle. She says, but I'm glad I listened to it all the way through. First, because my tears finally came out. Second, because I feel less anxious about my situation. And lastly, because I too have felt what you spoke about. And she doesn't say it here, but she knows I, it, it was the gratitude I had just for my life and AA and my family and so many things. But anyway, she says, Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for posting it. Signing out quickly, but sometimes slowly, <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> oh, God bless you, Michelle. I'm glad you were able to have a good cry. I had one that night as well. So it looks like we were sharing uh, in that same—well, not the same cry, but you know, different cries apart from each other. You get the idea. Anyway, (laughs) Kaylee writes in and she also said this was this was a the subject line is loved your random thoughts episode. She says, John, your episode really moved me. I really appreciate you putting that out there. I can definitely def. By the way, she puts definitely. Like, I, I like that because it's a, it's kind of a cool way of saying definitely. But anyway, she says I can def relate to it on so many levels. Just that overwhelming feeling of gratitude that comes over over me from time to time when I actually step back and realize all that God has done from me not from me for me sorry about that kaylee thank you kaylee i'm i'm glad it meant to you i'm i i guess i in 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 the big scheme of things i'm glad i did release it and not hold it back uh and i once again i appreciate you writing in and uh Yeah, I think we all feel that way sometimes. The only difference with me is I just I have a microphone, and I can walk upstairs to Studio A here and actually record it and put it out there. But, you know, everyone's got their same story. And I'm sure when I put out something like that, that you guys are thinking about your moment. And when you have been overwhelmed with gratitude, and and I appreciate it. Kelly writes in. Oh, she's also writing in about this, and she says, uh, God's all over you. Glad you chose to share your seven-minute gratitude episode. There are moments when we have all felt the urgency to know we matter. Very well put, Kelly. I am sure your message made it to one or many that needed to hear exactly that. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, and I think this is the last one, Uh, and it says, uh, Dave writes in, and it's episode number 233, which is the episode we've been talking about uh, here, and uh, it says, John, I listened to your podcast, episode number 233, and it blew me away. I was afraid that you were going to say something unfortunate had happened to a family member or friend. Whew, he says. The, I you know the my tone on the beginning of it I'm sure was kind of hard to tell where this was going and uh, uh yeah so nothing tragic happened it was just an overwhelming feeling of gratitude but anyway he says I often feel the way you express sometimes while others are sharing during a meeting or other times during the day I get a little misty man do I understand that oh gosh do I understand that uh Dave he says we're all so fortunate I wouldn't have have the best thing in life if I didn't experience the worst thing in my life very well put I guess the idea of best and worst are relative big smiley face I don't remember ever asking why did I become an alcoholic rather I asked why was I able to get sober when so many others didn't I I, man I can so relate to that Dave I can so relate to it the folks that do stick with us, get sober, and find comfort in sobriety are walking miracles. And I really love to see God at work in their lives. I too feel like a blessed man. He said, I listened to your podcast on a podcast addict player and the podcast following uh, episode 233 from sober speak and my cue was and, and if you guys want to go look this up you can i listened to it it was a very good episode and the name of the episode the name of the podcast is from the friars f-r-i-a-r-s god and us and then day says to me perfect this just perfectly reinforce what you express Father Jeremiah Merriam talks about the parable of the prodigal son and how it reveals to us the truth about God and us. So, of course, I cried a little. (laughs) I listened to that too, and I I think it was a very good episode. Once again, uh, it's from the friars, excuse me, and the name of the episode is God and Us. He says, I've been praying, I've been enjoying your podcast for a few years. I'm amazed at your interviews, insights, and quality speakers. You continue to develop and refine your skills. I I guess, Dave, I'm not sure about that, but thank you. He says, I'm glad you listened when called to serve. I'm sure you get more out of this than we do. Keep it up, brother. Love, Dave. Love back at you, Mr. Dave. And um, um, for right now, I'm keeping it up. <clears throat> like i always say i'm taking this a week at a time and uh but uh, love back at you brother i appreciate you writing in day my friend jim writes in and jim says john my brother and friend uh jim has been a listener of this podcast from just about the very beginning uh and it's been so cool to watch him from afar go through his journey the ups and downs he's had and uh, uh jim i consider you a brother and a friend as well and he went anyway he says thank you thank you thank you for the double blessing this week <laughs> what do you know what he says, Jimmy D and the Tradition 2 episode plus your random thoughts. I love hearing your passion and vulnerability about this wonderful gift, Gus. And then in parentheses, Gus is the great universal spirit (laughs) comma my higher power gus the great universal spirit i don't think i've ever heard that one jim i like that anyway he says uh about this wonderful gift that gus provides me and so many others through you Keep doing what you're doing, John. I don't write every week because I know you're a busy, but believe me, I pray a prayer of thanks for you many times every week. Oh, and a big praying hands. And he says, blessings to you, Shannon, your kids, and even your lizards. <laughs> he's heard me talk about the lizards that we <laughs> have in the house. And then he's got this big uh, emoji of a, I think that's a gecko or whatever, and then big smiley faces and hearts and all that stuff and he says you touch my heart with every new sober speak podcast oh that's very nice uh, thank you so much jim for writing in ryan ryan dms on the insta and he says uh John, I'm really into your show. I've been listening for two days, and it's really engaging. Mainly been into the David G shows today. You know, I was just talking to David G this week about getting him back here on another episode. Um, we just have to match up our schedules. And uh, anyway, I'm going to get David B back on again. David G back on again soon. And he said, "I went to my first meeting by free will this last month." <laughs> By free will, I guess that maybe he's been forced in at other times, but uh, this last Monday and couldn't make Tuesday, but went today. I've met many bottoms, but still continue to drink. I've yet to change. uh, Oh, I've yet to have the courage to speak or to get a desire chip. I know I need to quit. I'm very self-aware. But at the end of the day, I feel so bad that the only thing that makes me, that, that makes, that makes, brings me back to normal, it's a couple of shots and a beer. Oh, I think there's, mm, there's thousands and thousands of people uh, listening to this right now that can relate to that rhyme. He says, my drinking has slowed down, but I know I need to quit for good. I feel so guilty for going to meetings and then drinking after. I don't claim to be sober, but getting sober is on my mind every minute I'm awake. I can't go to treatment, so I have to figure out a way to stop. Y'all say, let go and give it to a higher power. I don't know how to do that. I don't know if you have some advice for a person in my predicament. Tomorrow's a new day. I failed tonight. Thank you for the show. It's helping me. Well, Mr. Ryan, as you know, I went ahead and uh, got you in touch with David. Uh, I've hoped that you all have had some follow-up conversations. Um, The first thing is admitting you're powerless and being honest and being invulnerable, and you have started. Uh, Anyway, you keep me uh, posted with your journey there, my friend. Megan, post in the super secret Facebook group, by the way, if you are not, in the Super Secret Facebook group, and you would like to be there, please, please, please go to your Facebook application and search for the Sober Speak secret group and ask for admission in to the group, and we will get you on in there. But anyway, Megan Post, and there she said, uh, by the way, there are so... Uh, there are like so many celebrations and so many people in there that are posting like uh, daily daily meditation kind of things, I call them, right? They're, they're all over the place. And then people post them where various Zoom meetings are and various meetings are and the whole nine yards. So um, I think we have close to know, 20, uh, it's over 2,000 people in there right now. So come on in and join the gang. We'd love to have you there. Back to Megan, posting in the super secret Facebook group. She says, 500 days sober now, and I owe it to my higher power, my program, this Facebook group, and John M., and the Sober Speak podcast. If I hadn't stumbled upon this podcast nearly 17 months ago, it Uh, It would have made my commute to and from work that much longer. I'm so grateful for recovery and for knowing that other alcoholics are here and hearing their experience, strength, and hope. I hope my story can be a blessing to someone someday. um, The way so many of yours continue to help me be kind and love always heart, heart peace sign Megan well Megan I think your experience just became a blessing to others so thank you for sharing and I'm so glad that you are 500 days sober God bless you last but not least Mr. Cam writes in Cam C-A-M he says hi John M I subscribed to your podcast by chance last month when I was looking into Podcasting for a side project. I remember how much I enjoyed listening to speaker meetings on YouTube when I returned to AA after a very long hiatus. I live in Japan. So the speaker meetings helped me connect when I couldn't go to a meeting. Luckily, I was able to find a small group in my city that meets weekly. Now we meet with Zoom. I attend meetings on a regular basis, but listen to podcasts for the speakers. I first entered the rooms of AA in the early 1990s in Atlanta at the famous or infamous, he says, Triangle Club. I realized that I had the makeup of an alcoholic the day I was born. My father was a bartender and a drunk, and my mother was sadly also a drunk. Life was really hard for me and my sisters, but eventually we made it into adulthood. I promised I would never smoke or drink like my parents, but... Once I got on my own, things changed. I was certainly a drunk. I ended up in an AA meeting for myself in 1993. Unfortunately, I didn't want to accept that I was a drunk, so I tried to control my drinking. I was too young, uh, but... but and but did get a year of sobriety from 1997 to 1998 it was a year i'll never forget i finally worked the steps i had spiritual experiences and steps five and eleven Unfortunately, I needed to add to the wreckage of my past and decided I was not like all of the sober drunks. You know, they were crazy. So, I had that first drink which turned into nearly two decades of wreckage. This is a common story, unfortunately. He says I will put uh, I put my will before God's will. Everything ended in failure, car accidents. Run-ins with the law, moving from one job to the next, one toxic, toxic relationship to the next, one town to the next. There's too much to tell. I ended up in LA, Los Angeles, and then Japan. Finally, on October 27th, 2014, I was finally sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I seriously, for the first Uh, For the last time, being sick and tired, I'm sorry, that was my fault, I stopped drinking. It had been 2,000, it has been... 2,712 days and counting in my new life. Good for you, Cam. I am a member of AA now in a group in central Japan, and I'm working the steps of AA with my sponsor and doing the things that I need to do on a daily basis to ensure my reprieve. That's interesting. I got back from a meeting a couple hours ago where that was the subject. Anyway, he says, I have two children, and a wife who has stood by me. I worked the program, but unfortunately I still haven't had any sponsees since I got sober again, and I'm not sure why. Our group is small and it's made up of old timers who go back out and never return. I guess it's hard to stay sober in Japan, but I'm doing it! Exclamation point. I suppose I need to focus on step 12, so I decided to rework all my steps again, and I'm back on step four, but it's one day at a time, my friend, and one day, I hope to be of service just like you. Well, you're being of service right now, Cam. He said, I can't begin to tell you how much I enjoy your show. I've listened so far to about 10 episodes, a couple of new ones, and I've started back in the beginning and have finished one through seven. I have loved all of them so far, but KDP part two, one of your recent ones really resonates with me, but they are all great. I'm going to keep listening. So I hope you keep producing John M. <laughs> well, I'll try my best, Mr. Cam. God bless you. And thank you for your service. This recovering drunk thousands of miles away is grateful. Best Cam V. Well, Cam V in japan thank you so much for laying it all out there i sure appreciate you oh man what a good guy uh and uh what a good you have really gotten around Uh, la atlanta japan uh who knows wherever else you have been sounds like you've been a traveling man uh but i'm glad you have the what was that two thousand oh yeah two thousand seven hundred and twelve days as of the writing. Uh, probably. Let's hope that it's more by now, right? Next time you're writing me, you're going to be 3,000 or more or something like that. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, everybody. God bless you. Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Uh, may God bless you and keep you until then. I take this one week at a time. Hopefully, we'll be back next week. Y'all take care.